White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki does damage control following Biden's disastrous press conference. The Republican National Committee says see ya to the Commission on Presidential Debates. Plus, NPR gets caught spreading fake news. All that and more. I'm Bobby Eberly. This is the 13-Minute News Hour. And God bless the United States of America. Okay, friends, welcome to the show. Happy Friday. I hope you had a great week. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to start with White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who was sent out to do damage control following Joe Biden's disastrous press conference earlier this week. Now, if you sat through the entire press conference like I did, then you had to realize why Joe Biden's handlers keep him hidden and away from the media. He seemed incoherent at times. He did that creepy whisper thing when he was talking about schools and COVID, and then he flipped and became angry when asked about his own comments comparing people who oppose his federal takeover of elections to segregationists. He was all over the place. It was so bad that shortly after the press conference, the White House team was already moving into damage control mode, trying to clean up an incredibly bad mess. Biden raised eyebrows of the entire world when he talked about Russia. Putin and tens of thousands of troops Putin is mobilizing near Ukraine. Biden said that minor incursions into Ukraine would be okay, which had to be news to Ukrainian President Zelensky. Biden himself came out the next day with a clarification on that one. Absolutely clear with President Putin. He has no misunderstanding. If any, any assembled Russian units move across the Ukrainian border, that is an invasion but it will be met with severe and coordinated economic response that I've discussed in detail with our allies, as well as laid out very clearly for President Putin. Funny how Biden starts out by saying he has been very clear. When the only reason he was forced to make that comment one day after his press conference was because he wasn't being clear. Then there's Biden's comments on the 2022 elections, and it is now clear what the Democrat strategy is in case they are wiped out at the polls in November. Their response? It's not going to be that their policies are bad. It's not going to be that Joe Biden is a terrible leader. Nope. It's going to be that the elections were illegitimate. That's right. At the press conference, Biden said that because his two election bills went down in flames, that means the 2022 elections could be suspect, that the results could be doubted, all because people are opposed to a Democrat federal takeover of elections. Here's Biden when asked about the legitimacy of the 2022 elections. Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. The increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these these reforms passed. There you have it. Biden stated directly that the confidence in the November elections is directly proportional to getting his bills passed. Those election bills failed, and now he is already calling into question the future election results. This claim had the White House scrambling to come up with some kind of response that Americans can count on the elections to be fair. The last thing the Democrats want is for their base to just stay home so Jen Psaki was sent out to mop up the mess. Here's Psaki. 
Also under a microscope, the president's suggestion the midterms could be illegitimate if voting rights bills don't pass. He absolutely is not predicting uh, that the 2022 elections would be illegitimate. The point he was making is that the former president asked a number of states, seven or more in fact, to overturn the outcome of the election. What? Biden makes a statement about his own election bills and the legitimacy of the 2022 elections, and Jen Psaki talks about Trump. Trump is still their number one talking point, even if he has nothing to do with the topic. Biden didn't mention former President Trump at all. What Biden did do was directly tie the faith in the election results to the passage of his election bills. But that didn't keep Psaki from trying to spin out of the mess. Kamala Harris was also sent out to clean things up, which you know is never a good move. If there's anyone out there capable of generating more problems than Biden, it's Harris. This is her response when asked about Biden's election comments on NBC. Yeah, the, the, the bills it's, were debated it's, and it's, they didn't may, pass. If so I may the, finish, the if I may, if I may course, finish. But the specific question, if you don't mind, does he think now that these bills haven't been passed that the 22 midterms won't be legitimate or fair or free? Let's not conflate issues. Let's not conflate issues. The two issues that Harris was asked about, election bills and the 2022 elections, are the exact items that Joe Biden was tying together. Jen Psaki couldn't spin out of that one, and Kamala Harris certainly couldn't either. What's interesting is that even the left-wing legacy media were stunned at Biden's performance. After just a year, they may be running out of excuses for Joe Biden. If you're foggy and meandering on key questions and you're also not winning, uh, then you've got a real problem. Putin and she and our NATO allies are not debating that right now. Mm -hmm. They see Joe Biden as weak. Yesterday's press conference did not help. So uh, I didn't think it was a very impressive list, and I'd probably go back to the drawing board. I'm not sure that his staff is exactly excited about all the news he made. Uh, no, there's a lot to clean up. Foggy and meandering. That actually is a pretty good description of what we saw at the press conference. And one thing is clear, if Biden holds any more, then Jen Psaki and the entire White House team of damage control experts will certainly be earning their paychecks. All right, next let's talk about the 2024 presidential debates. But first, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, hit that subscribe button, make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Okay, next, let's talk about Republican National Committee Chairwoman Rona McDaniel in the 2024 presidential race, because McDaniel, speaking for the RNC, has come out this week and said that the Republican Party will not be participating in presidential debates organized by the Commission on Presidential Debates. Now, I must admit, when I heard this news, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. It's rare the RNC ever takes a bold action, and not only is this action bold, but it is long, long overdue. The Commission on Presidential Debates is run by left-leaning political operatives. It claims to be nonpartisan, but even its Republican members are old establishment figures who lean to the left. As a result, we have a presidential debate structure that is hosted by the media, which makes no sense, and which is moderated by hosts that, not, that almost always not only lean to the left, but who bring that liberal bias with them into the debate. It's terrible and something needs to change. The media should be covering the debates, 
not hosting them. And we need a full-scale house cleaning of the debate moderators. Well, it appears that's exactly what the RNC plans to do. Here's some comments from RNC Chairwoman Rona McDaniel. So we definitely want debates. We're absolutely going to participate in presidential debates, but we are not going to do it through a biased commission called the Commission on Presidential Debates, a commission that started debates after 26 states had started voting in 2020, a commission that picked a moderator in 2020 that had worked for Joe Biden. We went to them. We said, can you give us assurances that you will not do those same things in 2024? They said, no, we do not assure things to the Republican Party. And we are now taking the step of looking for an alternate venue that will be fair, uh, a fair forum for our candidate. As McDaniel mentioned in those comments, one of the debate moderators from the 2020 debates had worked for Joe Biden. How could someone like that even be up for consideration? If you recall, the moderator in question was C-SPAN Steve Scully. He was caught on Twitter posting about Trump, but then falsely claimed that his Twitter account was hacked. It wasn't, and he was suspended by C-SPAN. The point is that this is a person who was picked by the Commission on Presidential Debates to be an impartial moderator. Of course, we all remember the job that Chris Wallace did when he moderated one of the Trump debates. It was two-on-one with Trump versus Biden and Wallace. The individual no, I, mandate was the most unpopular aspect of Obamacare. I got rid of it. I'd like and you we to, will protect Mr. people President, with I'm the moderator of this debate, and I would like you to let me ask my question, and then you can answer Go your ahead. question. You, in the course of these four years, have never come up with a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare. And just this last Thursday, you signed a largely symbolic executive order That's to protect symbolic. people with pre-existing conditions five days before this debate. So my question, sir, is what is the Trump health care plan? Right. Well, first of all, I guess I'm debating you, not him, but that's okay. I'm not surprised. That's just one example of Wallace as supposedly an impartial moderator guiding the audience's opinion of a health care plan or the effect of an executive order. The spin needs to come from the candidates, not the moderator. And I hope the RNC follows through with bailing on the Commission on Presidential Debates. All right, next let's talk about NPR and the fake news surrounding them. But first, a word from our sponsor. I wanna tell you about my friends over at World Fair. If you have a photo of your childhood home, your favorite travel spot, your hometown football stadium, whatever it is, World Fair takes that photo and turns it into a hand-drawn work of art. These sketches make great gifts, moving announcement cards, invitations, and more. So many possibilities that World Fair can do for you. And all you need is a photo. Just use the link in the description and use coupon code BOBBY13 for 10% off your next purchase. Next, National Public Radio, or NPR, is in the news for spreading fake news. Imagine that. In this case, it involves so-called controversy of, and turmoil regarding two Supreme Court justices, conservative Neil Gorsuch and liberal Sonia Sotomayor. At the heart of the matter is a story written by NPR reporter Nina Totenberg, who claimed that tension is building between Sotomayor and Gorsuch. According to Totenberg, Sotomayor has diabetes and is afraid of catching COVID. So she asked Chief Justice John Roberts to do something. Roberts supposedly told all the justices to mask up, and Gorsuch refused, thus driving Sotomayor to participate remotely. Now, the blowback started almost immediately as this 
the hostile relations thing, the story they're spreading, is not something that Neil Gorsuch has ever been associated with. Totenberg, however, followed up with another story in which she stuck to her initial reporting. However, the whole controversy was ginned up by Totenberg, crumbled when those who were actually involved decided to speak out. Here's the story. On Wednesday, Gorsuch and Sotomayor issued an unprecedented joint statement declaring the NPR's story false. Reporting that Justice Sotomayor asked Justice Gorsuch to wear a mask surprised us. It is false. While we may sometimes disagree about the law, we are warm colleagues and friends, the statement read. Roberts flatly denied NPR's reporting, stating, I did not request Justice Gorsuch or any other justice to wear a mask on the bench. NPR repeatedly defended its report both after the Gorsuch-Sotomayor statement and the Roberts statement, telling Fox News it was standing by Totenberg's report. So, Roberts made no such claim, according to Roberts, and Gorsuch and Sotomayor have no beef with each other, according to them. Yet, NPR stands by the reporting. However, a top editor at NPR is now stating that some of Totenberg's wording may be a little misleading. A top editor at NPR acknowledged a report that received unprecedented blowback from three Supreme Court justices merits clarification, but stopped short of offering a correction or a retraction. On Thursday, NPR public editor Kelly McBride admitted that the report written by NPR's chief legal affairs correspondent, Nina Totenberg, merits a clarification, but not a correction. After talking to Totenberg and reading all justices' statements, I believe her reporting was solid, but her word choice was misleading, McBride wrote. Can you believe this? NPR stands by the reporting, even while acknowledging that it was misleading. In the meantime, the people who are actually involved say the story is completely false. Is it any wonder why people have lost trust in the media? Okay, so we had Joe Biden's press conference and Jen Psaki's damage control. There was the left-wing commission on presidential debates and NPR's fake news. We need to ask them, do you have a relaxed brain? I got what you call like, I don't know, a relaxed brain. Okay, first let's talk about Johns Hopkins University, who is taking their student vaccination policy to an extreme. So many organizations, corporations, and governing bodies have thrown away the science in favor of a left-wing groupthink that may make them feel better inside, but does nothing to secure people's rights or keeps people safe. At Johns Hopkins, a student had a severe reaction to taking a COVID injection, but the university said that wasn't enough reason to exempt the person from having to get a booster shot. Here's the story. A student at Johns Hopkins University was denied a medical exemption for the COVID-19 booster shot after the university declared his adverse reaction to the COVID vaccine was not serious enough, according to the communications obtained by the Daily Caller. The student, who requested anonymity for fear of retribution from the university, submitted a medical exemption form for the booster shot with records of his April 10th emergency room visit, according to documents reviewed by the Daily Caller. The student reported a fever, severe gastrointestinal issues, and breathing problems that followed days after getting inoculated with the COVID vaccine. Can you believe this? This kid had a bad reaction to the vaccine. Then, this past December, he actually got COVID. So now, he's vaccinated, 
plus has the natural immunities, which are shown to be better than a vaccination, and the university is saying, nope, you have to have a booster. And then we'll head over to Virginia. And I know that Virginia now has a new governor, and he'll be cleaning up the education mess, but he certainly has a lot of work to do. One high school, for example, was caught pushing the tenets of critical race theory and racial division by requiring the students to play privilege bingo. Here's more. Virginia's largest school district is on the defensive after it was caught forcing children to participate in a game of privilege bingo that singled out kids for characteristics involving their race and family life. Students at Fairfax County's Oakton High School were asked to self-identify their privilege for an exercise that the district says was intended to provide students with an opportunity to reflect on their own experiences while building their critical thinking skills. The bingo card contains squares based on race, identity, socioeconomic status, and family life, and included categories such as white, military kid, parents are married, mentally healthy, cisgender, have your own bedroom, Christian, and able-bodied. Now, the district initially defended the lesson with the assistant superintendent saying the assignment was an adept vehicle to push student thinking to challenge an author's thoughts and conclusions and to sharpen their ability to critically read selected text. After blowback from military families, the district said the assignment would be revised. All right, and if that wasn't ridiculous enough, M&M's candies are getting a reboot and going woke. Apparently, the multicolored candy mascots aren't inclusive enough for today's left-wing corporate boardrooms. So the characters are getting a makeover. Here's the story. The cartoon mascots that sell M&Ms in television commercials will now dress and act in more gender-neutral ways, the 80-year-old candy maker announced Thursday. Jane Huang, global vice president for M&Ms at parent company Mars, told Adweek that it's time to minimize traditional gender stereotypes in marketing campaigns for the chocolate candies that feature the characters. To support the change, the female M&M's characters will dress more comfortably. Green will wear sneakers rather than knee-high boots and act more confidently. And brown will wear plainer eyeglasses and more sensible low-block heels instead of stilettos. Meanwhile, the three male M&M characters will act in less traditionally masculine ways. Adderick reported that red will be less bossy and orange will acknowledge and embrace his anxiety. This is too much. Embrace his anxiety? It's a cartoon character. The company VP also said that the prefixes of Mr. and Mrs. will be dropped to de-emphasize their genders. And the mascots will be in different shapes and sizes to promote diversity. How's that for a lax brain? Friends, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, hit that subscribe button, make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our next show is going to be Monday evening at the usual time, 6.30 p.m. Central. Until then, I'm Bobby Eberly. This is the 13-Minute News Hour.